Coffee Sketch Podcast is our take on the intersection of old tech and new tech, the space between the traditional practice of the hand-drawn sketch that has been performed by architects and designers for centuries, and the modern-day use of the hashtag as a representation of a sentiment or a movement. Each week, we plan to deliver a new pod about our ideas, sketches, and what's going on in our daily lives as we pursue our love of architecture, design, and sharing this knowledge with the next generation. I'm Kurt, and I'm in Flint. And I'm Jamie, and I'm in Austin. Hey, Jamie. How you doing? Good. How about yourself? Even better. (laughs) So, yeah, how about I throw that at you? Um, Anyway, um, I'm glad we're uh, recording again, and we have a special guest today. And before I botch another intro, let's just bring up our friend, John Pendorf. Um, And... He can introduce a little bit about himself and his background, how he, he he agreed to talk to us, how he knows us, or maybe he won't want to say that he knows us why, after this. And even why this episode is called. Yes, yeah, so with John's uh, presence today, we decided to call this episode Coat and Cocktails. So I'm I'm raising my delicious martini and we have john so let's pitch it over to john why don't you tell us what you're drinking and uh introduce our listeners to who you are all right well hey kurt hey jamie um as as kurt said my name's john and i'm currently drinking in manhattan um and little about me, I guess. Well, I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm an architect, and I met my, my, my two lovely co-hosts today uh, working on the AIA Young Architects Forum Leadership Group. So we've all known each other now for, gosh, somewhere between five and 200 years. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, we it's uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be here and to talk with you guys and see you guys via Zoom as we're all kind of in our different places right now. Yeah, so admittedly, this is a little bit strange for us, and that's why like this isn't totally like a game, Kurt. But you know, because he's not caffeinated enough, clearly, um, you know, we're we're you know normally our routine. We talk about the coffee that we're drinking. Um, we're doing some drinks instead because the episode is Coat and Cocktails. And so, John, can you explain a little bit what Coat is and then maybe why we introduce cocktails because you are our guest tonight? Sure. Um, I didn't realize. I, I, I would have suggested a cocktail with coffee if I knew Kurt needed more caffeine. Um, so Coat is an acronym, and it stands for Committee on the Environment. And it's basically the group within the American Institute of Architects that really focuses on high performance, ecologically friendly, sustainable design. And I had the good fortune to be part of the um, the leadership group for Coat for three years um, earlier, uh, I guess, earlier this decade or in the last decade, I guess, because we're now in 2020. Um, so I got to meet a lot of really great people who were passionate about the environment like I am, um, people who really 
work to um, create a built environment that is more friendly to nature, but also um, something that maybe even makes the people who are in our buildings uh, healthier and, and happier and more fulfilled. And so we spin that with cocktails because everybody needs a hobby and mine happens to be recreating or creating drinks at home um, that uh, inspire me. And I, there is actually a little tie-in between coat and cocktails because of, you know, we are close to Earth Day and everything. Um, behind me are the ingredients in my Manhattan over here. Excellent. And um, they are local because we often talk about we often talk about you know think global act local and something I have told other people about drinking is um, to just like you eat what's in season you drink what's in season but it's always good to drink what's local as well so um, this is a uh, straight rye whiskey that is populating my Manhattan that is brewed uh, not brewed excuse me distilled about um, a mile from my house here in DC. Oh, wow. And mm -hmm. that same company makes this, uh, they call it white vermouth, it's white capital line, um, but it's sort of like a, a local take on vermouth and it's the same distillery that makes both. So while it's called a Manhattan, it really should be called like a, a Northeast DC or something like that. Um, but anytime that I can support a local distillery, I, I do love doing that. That's something great. I always wanted to ask you is like, do you, have you ever sort of folded in sort of distillery tours into your, I mean, as architects, all three of us are architects, you know, one DC, one in Austin, one in Flint. Um, and we do travel, you know, um, sometimes in our service roles or even in our work roles. Um, do you, and, and as architects who travel, we like to have our architectural pilgrimages um, to different sites. Do you fold in the occasional distillery into your 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 touring i try um it depends very much if i am by myself or with another group of adults versus my underage very underage children <laughs> um but um there are some i've taken some distillery tours here in dc this particular distillery is one of them um i was able to actually for my 40th birthday hit a few distilleries that are all in the same neighborhood with some friends as part of my birthday celebration so that was fun um, but yeah, I've, I've been to a distillery out in um, Park City, Utah when I was out there. And um, actually one of the coolest distilleries that's no longer a distillery that I really kind of fell in love with is the Distillery District, which is in Toronto. Um, oh, wow. It's an entire neighborhood of rehabilitated, repurposed, what we would call adaptive reuse of old distillery buildings. Um, that are now like somewhere between an artist's enclave and uh, sort of a nightlife restaurant area. So they've got galleries, they've got places where people are actually making things interspersed with different restaurants, um, bars, uh, bakeries, things like that. And um, I don't know how many city blocks it is. It's kind of this self-enclosed, very pedestrian friendly space that um, has sort of a distillery that's been given new life. So I think that's pretty cool too. So we, before we get into the, the meat of this, um, we, we want to also point out that you have dressed for the occasion 
and and wore a fantastic t-shirt of a hashtag. We've all dressed for the occasion. Kurt is still, <laughs> Kurt is still reliving the draft, and That's just true. before broadcast, explained a lot about his love of his alma mater and the football, the sports ball stuff. So, um, yes, true. Yes, we're all dressed for the occasion. But, but John, John with, with the hashtag, that's the extra mile. You know, I, I I tried to I tried to be on brand as much as possible when I can, and um, so what I t- actually what I still do for committee on the environment is I sit on their communications committee, and I do a lot of their tweeting and LinkedIn and things like that. So I am very familiar with hashtag sustainability, resilience, whatever you want to call it, but hashtag coat and cocktails sounds like a, a yeah. great, uh, a, has a great ring to it and maybe needs to be a future AI conference session. Maybe. I, don't know. So. I, I think, I think we, we know some guys who would be totally, you know, ready to attend. Um, <laughs> so, but, yeah, fun- I, and I'm, I'm actually wearing a, football jersey myself um but it's a parley jersey um so it's uh, adidas and parley um they have partnered uh, in the past and produced um soccer jerseys football jerseys um using uh, recycled plastics in their oh, fabric nice. um and so the mls every year for i think the last two seasons now um produce a special kit for each each club and they wear them um during earth day celebrations or earth week um you know they usually have a match during this time and if unfortunately you know seasons are all suspended at the moment um but uh you know if you support your club you you always end up getting the special kit and this one seemed really great because it was um you know had a real sustainability you know ethos to it that I thought was really unique and it's always kind of cool when you see um whether it's larger companies or even professional sports kind of taking it seriously um it, it makes it that much better of a story as to where you got the shirt or how you bought the thing you know um and we find I don't know if you guys find the same thing but when when you're trying to talk to a design client about like a material that you want to put in a building and the material has a really good story, especially a sustainable story. It tends to resonate deeper with people because they understand, they may not understand how the particular material or thing truly functions, but they can understand that it was recycled plastic or that it was recycled glass or something like that. So it's always, it's always kind of nice to hear those stories. And I think from the design innovation aspects of things, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, crosses industries and for us as design professionals, I think it's, it's something that, like you said, it's the story. I mean, you know, it's, it's the story of our work that, um, you know, whether it's a really sophisticated client or, um, or somebody who's hiring and talking to an architect for the first time, um, you know, I've had plenty of those uh, as I'm sure you guys have as well. And it's, but it's that narrative that something has to resonate with folks. And, you know, I think when brands do it, um, and do it in sort of creative ways. I think it's a, uh, it really helps for the overall picture. Um, but I love the the shop local and uh, really appreciate that. Um, it's something that um, in my current position, we've talked a lot about because um, we're doing a lot with um, small businesses and uh, in communities across our state. And I think it's one thing that we've sort of recognized is even those who maybe hadn't 
um, gravitated towards the idea of a local entrepreneur or a shop local. Um, I think during this time period, I think it's all become much more prevalent and people are really being a lot more careful about where they're shopping and, and how they're doing it. Um, I think there's a deliberateness to things, uh, which is kind of nice. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully that continues. I mean, I think that that's the thing that everybody's sort of, you know, in a wait and see. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, you know, it's, it's both keeping the money in your local community and the local economy, which in turn keeps your friends and neighbors employed, but also um, the bigger picture of like the reduction in carbon, the fact that that bottle didn't have to get put on a train or a truck and, you know, taken across country. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of bottles on my bar that did come from other places too, but um, as the sort of distillery culture has begun to flourish in the United States in a way that it really wasn't before, you're able to have options where you can make those choices now, which is kind of, it's kind of nice. And, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's nice to have sort of a, I don't want to say a guilt-free cocktail, but knowing also that, um, that what I'm drinking right now um, at the end of the day, didn't put as much carbon into the environment as uh, perhaps it could have. And, and the, I wanted to add too, that um, as, as far as local goes between, well, with, between my wife and I, who's, she's the one who's really like spearheaded um, growing as much food as we possibly can on our little urban lot here in Flint, um, which means <clears throat> our entire backyard no longer has grass. And I, and I can, I can attest to that because I just moved probably like 12 yards of mulch and, <laughs> and laid, you know, laid it all out in the backyard again, you know, cause we've done this for three years. Hashtag urban farm. Her, urban urban farm. farm. Little, little urban farm. But, um, and I know John and, you know, John is growing a little bit of uh, little raised beds or um, some, some food at home. And it's, it's another, like my wife would say, this is that level of resiliency and self-reliance that, um, I mean, for us, and so it's just the two of us. And, and we were kind of chatting before we started really recording um, about how everyone's doing. And, you know, you, you both have children uh, varying ages. And for me, it's just us two. So we don't have, you know, the work from home thing isn't, it hasn't been very distracting because it's just two adults and two dogs. And so we don't have like the, the need to teach people uh, math and, you know, break up our day with all <laughs> these other things like you guys. Um, but so we also haven't really gone. I mean, right now we haven't grown a lot yet because we're just coming out of winter, but um, we have, local farmers and friends and neighbors that have hoop houses that have grown greens so that we're sharing, we're sharing what we have seeds or something and we're getting, you know, bags of lettuce from them or kale and being able to buy or even share within our own community here, which maybe some people may not realize that, you know, can exist in Flint, but it does. And uh, it's really, again, back to the point of, uh, keeping things in within the local community and helping each other, especially through this, right? It's, this yeah. whole pandemic stuff is 
taxing and you know you got to kind of find the the bright point and 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 build on that so that's just yeah no we we have our little raised bed i am jealous of of yours because you you have a lot more space to to be able to to grow more things and we do need some grass so that the kids have a place to expend some energy they don't find weeding to be as fulfilling just yet. Um, so we do, we also haven't started planting though. Right behind my monitor here, there are some seedlings being started. Okay. Um, but I wanted to say the other way we we keep it local for food. Um, and I, I love the idea of you being able to trade things with like neighbors, um, where we are maybe a little bit more dense here and a little bit more compressed, and people don't have the space for the hoop uh, gardening and whatnot. Um, we participate in, um, it's not quite a farm share. It's a company called Hungry Harvest. Um, so I'll give them a little plug, even though they're currently not accepting new uh, new members because they are overwhelmed mm. um, during this pandemic situation. But they actually um, rescue food that would be um, eliminated or rejected by mm -hmm. mainline grocery stores and um, package it up into boxes that we get once a week. And for every pound of food that you buy, they actually donate a pound to your local food kitchen as well or a food pantry. Um, uh, so I feel like the last email we got was like they've, they've already rescued something like 200 tons of food in the DC metro area and they've expanded now to a bunch of different other cities. But wow. there's programs like this. I actually just heard about a very similar program. I think it's called Urban Harvest in New York City. So there are companies that are doing this, basically taking what would be discarded food because we throw away so much food as a country every year. It's it's just deplorable. Um, so for the same amount of money that you would get like a CSA or farm share, you're still supporting growers, but you're supporting by also diverting food from a landfill, which is, I think, a pretty, pretty awesome, pretty awesome um, uh model for a, for a company too. Like, it's like, you're doing something that's really ethical. You're giving people something that they really want. Um, and you're making money off it. So I think that's sort of like the, there's the triple bottom line right there. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the triple bottom line for sure. I mean, like for, for Kurt's bottom line, I think the, the bartering economy that he, he started to delve into in Flint was more about breaking the caffeine embargo that was in his household for a little while. <laughs> It worked out really well. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get some some you know wonderful beans from somebody else, and, and it was all porch good. Pickup. Porch pickup. Yeah, yeah, it was it was all within the neighborhood. So, um, but I think from from a small footprint standpoint, um, and sort of the the hashtag kind of living lightly on the land, um, uh, Kurtz picked out a couple sketches that I thought we might talk about too, um, but I think. For, for John, for, for kind of coat purposes, um, I think that, you know, what's always been exciting to me about that committee and sort of what they've done is from, and, it, and I think it probably started be, even before that, you know, probably more when you were a member and less when you were in leadership, because um, I think when you're in leadership, things really steamrolled with, with your group. Um, but I think that, you know, there was... Um, Coat and sustainability, even at the local or state level, was still sort of seen a little bit as a fringe element within our profession, um, at least from a committee and service standpoint. And I think that what Coat has done in terms of leadership in the last few years, um, especially at the national level, um, now we're seeing the awards program 
you know, integrate with the ideals and, and, um, you know, tenants of what your committee really has been doing for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, this year actually is an anniversary year for Coat, and I, I want to say it's the 30th anniversary of Coat, but I could be wrong because um, I don't have all my talking points for Coat right in front of me. Um, but um, it has it has come it has come a long way, um, and uh, you know it was started as a as a reaction to it was Earth Day, and um, architects felt like they weren't doing enough, you know, so there was a group of very passionate people um, in, in the architectural world, in the, in, the, um, in the sustainable world, some big names were associated with that, Bob Berkebile being one of the, the, the primary leaders of the group at that time. And uh, they formed this knowledge community, this group of like-minded architects. And uh, you're right, it has flourished. Um, it, it sort of got kicked into overdrive. We, when I was part of the leadership group, we had just started overhauling what are called the top 10 measures, which are the awards program you talked about, the top 10, the Coat Top 10 Awards, hashtag Coat Top 10. Um, and, uh, and that annual program has been going on for, for um, almost two decades now. Um, and it's really recognizing not just uh, sustainable projects, but bleeding edge projects, projects that are going above and beyond. Even right now, what we would call sort of the norm for sustainability, whether you're third party certification benchmarking with LEED or um, living building challenge, um, what, what, are, what are the buildings doing for the occupants and how are the buildings laying lightly on the land, whether that's um, through energy use or water use. But we did retool those top 10 measures um, about four or five years ago now. And it is, it has become now that the Institute as a whole has adopted, they've, they've sort of rebranded it, if you will. It's no longer the top 10 measures, it's the framework for design excellence. And it's really this lens through which we're gonna be, as, a, as an organization, looking at the, the relative love and value of a project. So it's, it's not enough that it's just beautiful anymore. It has to perform beautifully as well, which I think is, is poetic, but it's also, it's gonna be very telling to see how many projects that we would typically say are award-winning architecture project, projects can really talk that talk and walk that walk. Well, and I think that that's the thing. I mean, you know, with our sketches or my sketches that we talk about on, on the, the podcast that, that Kurt, you know, curates is that, it's oftentimes, you know, I'll be drawing them just, you know, for, um, you know, for talking purposes, I'll draw, you know, every day. And so these sketches are, you know, they're quick, they're intended to be quick. Um, we talk about the, the quickness of them, um, that's sort of on purpose, but it's, I think the curation of it, the way Kurt sort of looks at them, and that's really the inception of the, this idea for the podcast was that, um, you know, we're past our 50th episode, so it's worth me, you know, noting for people who are just finding it is, you know, Kurt's idea was, hey, you draw every day, let me take a peek at them and sort of curate through or cull through them and see what sort of kernel of an idea um, really resonates with me. Like, what's what's the narrative thread? And can I pull at a couple of them 
and sort of post some questions to you and and kind of get there from here. And let's have a chat about it. So um, the ones that Kurt picked this week, um, I think are that living lightly on the land idea. Um, and, um, you know, Kurt, you, you looked at a couple of them. Um, what sort of stood out to you? You know, and we've talked about some of this before with some of these projects, but, um, you know, now that we have, you know, John with us, I, I'm sort of curious, you know, where, where your, uh, where your thoughts were. Well, so it's interesting how, how this, this, this naturally occurred. Um, one of, you know, the first one we have is, is, uh, one that you actually, uh, posted on Instagram on Earth Day, which is, uh, you know, using the hashtag Earth Day and uh, the lightly on the land, and so it's it's kind of a, a neat little um, dwelling or hut. I'm going to say for right now. But what first caught my eye was uh, the next one in our in our script here, which it, it's kind of all happened at the same time or the same days I was, uh, watching, I don't know if you guys are, uh, uh, watch Eric Reinhold on YouTube. He's got this firm in Maine called 30 by 40 design workshop. Um, this is a sole practitioner, but he does these really nice YouTube videos. And he recently was, uh, playing around with his iPad. And because of all this quarantine stuff, he was sketching, and recording his sketch of, of making what he called the quarantine chapel, uh, so, a sort of design some folly of a space really that kind of gives you some, some space and room to kind of contemplate and think. And so this second sketch that's in our script is something that Jane, uh, Jamie uh, is dissecting. And, and so that kind of, I, I, I might've, I, I don't think I commented on the Instagram. I probably sent you a text message straight away and, you know, directly because it was like this. You're, you're, this you're is, twin. See, this is the thing, John. I know you haven't met Kurt's twin brother, but there no, is that an, terrifies me. There's, a, there's <laughs> another one. And, so, um, and, um, and he's an engineer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Full stop. Um, let that sink in, but, yes, you know, but he, yes. what, what's interesting is, so, um, uh, he'll, in, he'll respond on Instagram and sort of make these sort of comments to me. And then at the same time I'm getting them, I almost get this sort of, that there might be some twin vibe going on because I, <laughs> I usually get a text message from Kurt as well. Um, so Kurt's a little bit more direct about it, but you know, um, they're usually on the same page. Admittedly, uh, It's kind of funny. Cause like I screenshot, um, that sketch and my comment says yes and <laughs> yes. directly below mine is my brother <laughs> who's it <laughs> so we we actually got both of us commenting probably at the same time which is scary i call that success, I call that success on my part so well, um yeah he lives in san diego so there's a three-hour time difference and somehow yes uh you've gotten both of us on board right here so yeah so um yeah it, but so you know i was watching that youtube video and how eric was kind of you know 
walking through his sketch and and then you posted this sketch and I, you know, I, I just wanted to contact you and, and kind of talk about it, but, and then you, you decide I, you, you weren't really thinking about like a little chapel necessarily or like this quarantine chapel or so, but you were designing something of small, um, are the two related? Is this a, a concept of the Earth Day sketch or is it, yeah, are they so, separate? So the, the Earth Day sketch is one where I, I, I've actually built that, um, oh. or, it's it's actually um it's and, and i we've we've talked about this a little bit and i think all of us do it as designers is we inevitably go back to a project that's sort of a favorite um it's and and sometimes it becomes sort of an idealized view of it um where you know the the reality isn't exactly the way it sort of transpired um you know on paper or in your head or in the discussions that you had with your team members um so it, it, that's not to say that this this project um, wasn't realized the way that I wanted it to. I, I think it's it's worked out really really well, um, and uh, but it was it was an architectural folly to to a certain extent, um, and it was a but it was a project that I um, I was fortunate. And it's a recent project, um, but it's one where the the client was in like intently interested in, in how their footprint on the land would be perceived both um, from a design aesthetic, but also from a business point of view. They were, you know, without saying that they were looking at the triple bottom line, um, they, they really were. Um, and I think that they, you know, for a brand new business, they were looking at a sustainability plan um, early, early on. Um, and, and finding the language to it. So it was, um, it was sort of a beautiful project in that sense. And then there were some other things that, that, um, I could unpack with it, but it's, um, they were interested in their place in the community, um, their place in sort of history and culture. Uh, there was a, a placemaking aspect to it. Um, and so there were some opportunities within some of the programming of some of the buildings as a multi-building complex, um, on a, effectively a greenfield site or an underutilized site um, in the hill country, and but this particular folly was one where um, this is the well. This is actually the well on the property, and the well building was there when they bought it. Um, it was not an attractive uh, well structure, um, but it's because it's the well. It's sort of central to the property, very very prominent, and because they were um, a commercial business and they were going to be bringing people to this, uh, event space and to this property to visit, um, this location became effectively an eyesore. And so from a design point of view, it became a design challenge of, okay, the well can't move, you know, as much as designers, we like to try and say, Hey, why well, you know, maybe we could do that. You can't, can't move the well. So with the well there was, and there's a building and some apparatus associated with it, what could it become? You know, that became the design challenge was what can it become? And, and how can we do it in a way where, um, you know, budget's a concern, aesthetics are a concern, um, material um, and, and program. And, and then at the same time, because it's a prominent site, how can it get transformed such that um, it, it fits with the bigger you know, a bigger phased approach to this whole design aesthetic. Um, so for me, it was one of 
a lot of the discussions with the client were about observation and sort of walking these natural trails. Um, a lot of people in this sort of quarantine are feeling, you know, sort of a reconnection with nature and walking and um, trying to get outside. Mm. And so when we walked this property all the time with them, it was, you know, these beautiful trails sort of emerge and you sort of see where these pathways occur. And this point where the whale, with the, where the well was, was also a high point. And so for me, it was as a high point in the property, it became a tower opportunity and an observation tower. And so it became an architectural folly as an observation tower that's shrouding the actual well itself. And we used some reclaimed materials for it. Um, some of it was new, but it uh, it really felt right for the the ethic that they were they were trying to do and and work with their mission um, and was at, you know just sort of an interesting project and one where there were umpteen sketches of it. And what's the right form? Um, how do you shroud something? Um, you know, how do you create a tower? I had a prof once say that, you know, designing a tower is probably the hardest design problem for any architect to do. Um, and, you know, so all of those things are sort of coming into play. Um, there's a Canadian aspect to this as well. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the work of um, Brian McKay Lyons uh, mm -hmm. in Nova Scotia, um, sort of the... Eastern provinces. Um, he has a, a ghost lab project that some people um, have seen published. It, it's and um, because this couple um, were also from that part of North America, from Nova Scotia area, um, there seemed to be sort of a, a natural draw in my mind to kind of connect with that. And so those were some of the inspirations for it. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you know, lots of sketches. So the 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 one sketch for Earth Day is more of an idealized view of it with some uh, riffing on it, and then the others are some other versions of it that, um, yeah. you know, stayed on the drawing drawing room floor, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> a lot of feelings. I do, because um, first of all. Um, so the first, the first um, sketch in particular, um, the way you were describing it, um, and obviously I've not seen the project in person. So the way you were describing it, um, if I were to close my eyes, it had less to do with being a shroud and more about celebrating life because water is such an essential and vital part to how not just humans live with the well and, and being able to draw that water, but how ecosystems flourish and how, how material and energy get transmitted that what you've done is you've created this tower that actually celebrates this core um, element of all life on this planet. And you've created not a shroud necessarily, but I think it's more of a, a shrine, you know? Um, so kudos for that, even if I don't agree with your word, um, you know, uh, well, that's maybe me being Canadian. I was so. going to say, you need to be a little bit more Texan on that one. Um, because I think, I, I think it is, it's, it's sort of the celebration of it. Um, the second sketch in particular though, um, I, I'm going to scroll down. I realize cause I'm going like this and you're not on that screen on my computer. Um, what I love about it now, knowing that it's attached to the other one, it's sort of like the two sides of the coin, right? For architecture, it's the be it's the beauty and art versus the science and technology. And 
where we are going in, a, in the field of sustainable design is less about a single strategy and how it affects people or the earth, but what we're calling um, at my firm a systems thinking approach. So that sustainability isn't just about the one thing, it's about how these seven different things go together. And you know, you've drawn an analytique, basically. You've drawn this decomposition of this idea but the one, the piece on the on the right in particular, it's like this interconnected web of stuff, and that's really how we as designers need to start looking at our designs. That one thing by itself doesn't have the impact that the entire system, with purposeful design, can have. So it was sort of like this sort of unraveling of like here's the here's the pretty face, but behind it is this complex. Um, system of 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 thought that you know in sustainability we try to have the building system mimic the natural system because we can learn so much from ecology and from ecosystems um, but that's especially knowing that it was the earth day sketch or that it was an earth day sketch or connected to an earth day sketch to me that's as a practitioner that's what jumps out to me is that this is about that systems thinking approach and the very graphic representation of that there's, and then the last one down at the bottom, we haven't gotten to yet, but there's, right. there's the whole philosophy there that we can get into. Right. We, yeah, we, I think we'll wrap up with that one, uh, I think, right, Jamie? It seems like that's the uh, icing on the cake. Yeah, that's, that's your quarantine chapel. Yeah. The, the, the one thing, as you were speaking about it, though, Jamie, is, and we've talked about this before in episode, I'm going to say, 17 and 18 and we just throw numbers 42. around. <laughs> just try to make John listen to more of them. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, just kidding. But J- Jamie, uh, ironically, well, it's not ironic, but um, Jamie taught at uh, Purview, right? A&M, yeah. mm-hmm. alongside Michael Rotundi, uh, right? Well, you you encountered Michael Rotundi while he was working on the building, but also teaching and and you know you you were in the presence of you know kind of absorbing some of this philosophy of Michael Rotundi. We've talked about him a few times, but and and being when I studied at USC in LA, you know he would come to lecture at USC often, and he you know he had his history is uh, he co-founded Morphosis with Tom Main, and then they split early early on and they kind of did their own thing and Michael Rotundi is a very uh I think I'm I'm pretty sure he's Buddhist uh so he's a you know studies Buddhism and is interested in those kinds of um philosophical uh, thoughts and and meditations and it it kind of hit me that the Earth Day sketch the first sketch that we're talking about where your shrine you know your shrine to the water to the well but you you do this often you you you've been overlaying like plan and section and and perspective into a drawing and and you you really talk you start talking about the paths the pathways the trails and things like that and it really it it feels like this is the most like something michael rotundi would do or has done in in his own work as far as dissecting it through drawing but then it's totally connected to the landscape that it is and you know 
orientation and sight lines and ley lines of of nodes of the buildings on the different property. And this is not to say that you're copycatting micro rotundi, but it's more of like a, a subliminal connection to to maybe some of those times when you guys were chatting over coffee or something like that. Well, it's funny. Um, it's uh, I think you're you're seeing a lot of both of you are sort of seeing a lot of the process going to this. I mean, it was um, it, it's certainly one where. And I think the the reason why I like the um, the idea of talking about this um, with the ethic of sustainability or resilience or kind of um, you know a green mantra for design, um, you know, to be really basic about it, is that we as designers inherently, I think, as just sort of our training is one where we see the world through a lot of different lenses and see a lot of questions and propositions for it. Um, in this case, you know, I had some wonderful clients who were already open to a lot of these ideas, but they didn't necessarily know how to express them um, and didn't necessarily know that a lot of the expression of those ideas could be found in a sketch or a drawing or in the buildings that they were trying to realize. Um, you know, as sort of Canadians who were in Texas doing this project, um, one of the things that they were very proud of, um, as, as I am at times when I joke about being Canadian, I'm not joking about it. I am Canadian, <laughs> but is, uh, is there, you know, there are certain phraseology and there are certain things that we say and do that are just sort of inherent. Um, and it's, and some of it's sort of, um, you know, not, not bashful in a way, but it's, you know, there's, there is a connection to the landscape. Um, there's a connection to the land that I think is sort of inherent in, in sort of any Canadian, whether you're an immigrant or not. I think just the way the country kind of operates, I think there's, there's um, you know, that sort of ethos kind of comes through. And, you know, when, when I was in graduate school, um, I did get to meet Brian McKay Lyons and, um, uh, you know, through my mentor at the time and, um, you know, I was sort of slowly kind of getting interested in his work. And just as you're talking about Rotundi, who I got to work with a little bit later when I was teaching, is that investigation of sight and sort of walking a site and sort of figuring out where, not just citing a building, but sort of understanding sort of a future sense of what that site's going to look like or how it's going to be used, um, how people are going to interact with it. Um really just starts to resonate with me. And, and I think it's, um, it's something that I've always tried to find as I'm maturing as a designer um, is um, ways to connect that to my designs, but also be able to communicate it to my clients so that they can see what I'm seeing, um, even though it's not there yet. And I think on this particular site, which was like, it's 30 acres and, you know, it's just a bunch of live oak trees and trails is, and a well, uh, and a well building, um, and their dream, you know, and their dream of what they want to do there is, um, you know, I'm, I'm showing them how some of these pathways might connect and, and sort of become this vibrant environment, uh, for meditation, relaxation, celebration. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate you guys making those kind of comments because I think it's, it's something that, um, I certainly was conscious of. Um, when I was working on it 
And then I think when I go back to it now to sketch on it, it's those ideas are ones that I'm, I know will carry me through my career. It's just, it's, it's something that, um, that, that process I think is really, really important. And and that's why I like to kind of revisit an idea or revisit a sketch from time to time. Uh, all, all of these are, those two in particular are done from memory, you know, so it's, um, it's not necessarily looking at a picture. I went and found the picture that I have of that well building. Uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's, um, um, yeah, it's, it's a connection to place. And, you know, it's, you know, some people maybe don't um, connect with sustainability ideals per se, but I think people, um, it'd be hard for someone to say that they don't connect with a place that's important to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, and that's something that I think as designers, which we, we try and, you know, find ways to help people with. And well, John, I, and I just want to throw it back to you though. I, I just want to point out that I thought it was really, I appreciate it. You, you brought up the, the systems thinking that, that your office is, is choosing to showcase because I think when Jamie mentioned this early on, right, is that there, that like coat and sustainability and, and it's still, well, not in some cases is still kind of a fringe thing. And, and by making it a fringe thing, it's like this standalone item when, when in reality, and we, I mean, when we talk about shopping local, um, sharing with your local economy and your neighbors and things like that, it's, it's a system, right? You, you know, you're one, you're, you're a part, but if you have your, um, neighbors around you, right, then you've created a system within, you know, the, the larger world as a, as a whole. And so that, so it's a, that to me is like the, the thing that should be the scalable, right? Everyone talks about scaling. Mm-hmm. And then this is a very generic term, but like or, uh, that every, everybody, but like, you know, they talk about taking a, a seed of an idea and then scaling it into this, right, to make it some kind of commodity. But I think the real f- scalable concern is this uh, development of, of, a, of a local system or, or a sustainable unit that is comprised of multiple parts. And so I appreciate that. Well, I think recognizing that it has implications, we, we talk about it in our practice and about um, cascading consequences or co-benefits. And so for someone who's not a designer, if you take the alphabet, you can talk about the connection between A and B, but that, that connection actually has a, an impact on the letters Y and Z because you can't have A and B in different languages or in different character sets, right? It doesn't make sense. So how do you create this thing that, that, that starts to resonate all the way along the alphabet and has a positive impact until you get to the end and you can start again? It's sort of that same thing. And, you know, Jamie, you were talking about what is the site? What, it, what do you want it to become? I think sometimes we as architects think about this edifice that we're going to build being the most beautiful thing that's on the site. And the reality is the site itself can be a, a source of beauty and inspiration. And um, the site will be there long after our piece that is plopped on it goes away. So how can our building live in, in a symbiotic relationship with 
the natural environment? How can it actually improve the natural environment? Um, in your case, how is it celebrating something that happens to be an artifact that was man-made? Well, it just hap doesn't happen to pop up, you know, you know, it's not a flower, but, but because it was already there and the rest of the ecosystem had flourished around it, um, how did that impact, you know, your desire to celebrate it and that it laid lightly on the land, that it used local or repurposed materials. So the whole thing sort of tells the story. I think design as a whole needs to really go in that direction. I mean, we can talk, uh, it's a completely other show about climate change. You need a much stronger alcoholic drink to really talk about the realities of, of climate change. Yes, I'm almost out myself um, right now. But, uh, but I think, you know, that, that the way we as designers are gonna have impact on, on a positive impact on the climate and the earth is to figure out the way that ways that our built environment can celebrate and improve the natural landscape. Uh, I think that's, when you think about it as a systems approach that the building is part of a greater system. You know, we can talk about the most resilient building ever built, but if you're shedding all your water onto your neighbor's property, then you're a really crappy neighbor. So, um, so how do we think about it in terms of the greater universe that our buildings sit in as designers? I think it's, it's supremely important. And, and, and not only that, but the, the idea of sort of human health now. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of the pivot um, in um, sustainable design measures and measuring sustainable design has, has, has pivoted towards human health. And I think that a lot of that human health measure, I think that people were reluctant to look at before, other than, you know, medically diagnosing things, was that there's a connection to people. You know, it's sort of connection to the occupant and um, and hearing their story and listening to it. And I think the the architectural and design practices that we're doing post occupancy evaluations were ahead of the curve in sort of looking at and listening to their clients after their projects were complete. Uh, and then those of us that maybe didn't have that opportunity within our practice um, were you know tr you know trying to trying to get there from here and and um, looking for methods uh the well building standard I, I know that you guys have have dealt with that um you know it's uh and i know it's sort of in its infancy in in in, a, in essence in comparison to others but um i think that those ideas are ones that um really take um this level of design thinking you know not even talking about resilience this design thinking to another level because it's um, it isn't just about place or sitting lightly on the land or a systems approach. It's also, we're part of that system. You know, we as, as people are part of that system and, and we've known that, but we've always sort of been reluctant to engage it, I think at, at times. And, and, um, you know, but with that being said, I would say we need to get to the, the last sketch, which is maybe Kurt's most exciting one, you know, with our, our pop culture references all over the place. <laughs> Um, uh, this was a sketch in two, so. Well, yeah, so for fun. And it, it has some interesting tie-ins, I think. Um, so Jamie's third sketch is, uh, um, uh, you know, along the same vein of these hybrid 
futurist sketches that he's been doing. Um, you know, we have an episode uh, homage to Lebius Woods, and we talk about Lebius's style of um, interve- intervention um, and on buildings and creating these futurist structures. And so Jamie's got a, a really really exciting tower, another tower. And are you calling this then the, the, the quarantine chapel? But you've it's also just, got, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> he's lobbing it up for me, but like he, he added in there um, a, a, a very recognizable figure um, from the matrix, um, which it's, um, um, Oh, I forgot the, um, it's Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, and, and her, actually. Thank, you. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you for getting the pop culture reference. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And, and in her sort of floating matrix pose, but, uh, you know, amidst like this hybrid futurist landscape. Um, and, the, and the interesting thing, I think, I mean, the tie-in I'm trying to make is that like if we, if we don't try and, connect with nature and, and, and the earth as a, as a system, right? I mean, the matrix is kind of like this construct, right? It's this fabricated digital pseudo reality that was invented because, I mean, all the resources had been uh, pillaged and all that. And so then what you're left with is, you know, computers feeding off of host humans and, you know, creating some kind of pretend, uh, real, real life, and so well, uh, for those who've never seen the Matrix, yes, <laughs> and and then right, and we all haven't yet seen the fourth Matrix, which is supposedly coming out, right? Yeah, hey, I'm I'm still excited about that. But so. I, I I I digress a little bit, but um, yeah, Jamie and I like to talk about a little pop culture from now and then. Um. Uh, and Matrix is kind of one that it comes back as a recurring theme. But um, I mean, John, what are your your thoughts on this final sketch? So at first glance, I thought it was an Irish step dancer. Um, but I, I I completely no, I t- I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I did get the Matrix reference, but what I um, what I actually liked about this and the third in the series to me. If you were to tell me that that was a third sketch related to the first two, it's this well going down to the center of the earth and how fragile our our relationship is with the earth that it's basically just touching this woman in, a, in one place. And yet we're th- we have this intimate connection into the center of, of, of the planet. Um, however, um, I can also appreciate it as an homage to the matrix. And I think we're seeing elements of the matrix right now in our pandemic culture. I don't know if this is um, post-pandemic culture yet. Probably not. It's, we're still Only in a pandemic. In Texas, um, we're post. <laughs> and a few but, other states. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, it's sort of like the what is reality and um, what's really important to you? And can you strip that down to this one tower among all the other towers? So there's this nice sort of um, bittersweet connection to where we are right now as a, as a society. 
that that I like. It's even even more more real than what I I could imagine. How about or, you? Jim? It's okay to be an Irish step dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to point out this river dance saves all. Yeah, I mean, you know, a wavy finger, and we're going to use this for our, 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 you know, but you know, she's got an extra, extra knuckle in that. <laughs> she's just moving so fast that you oh, captured her right. in mid. Yes, mid yes. matrix. It's or is it a, a deja vu? There are some sketches that I spent a little more time on. This happened to be one of them, but um, I, I this, I mean the. So this is that one in particular. That's a um, it's a two page spread. So the first sketch um, is about twelve minutes, um, and then the second one is about twenty five. So it's about double, um, but two days. Yeah, the one's one day, one's the next day, um, and I, I, it was, you know, it, sort of the question sometimes comes out. You know, do I have some of these planned out? And, and some of it I do. I knew that there was going to be a figure in the second sketch. Um, I knew it was going to be sort of dynamic related to this environment. Um, but I would say that um, your first explanation, John, like I, I was seeing like as you were talking, like my eyes glazed over and I had this like, like this Obama meme mic drop kind of like image in my mind. I was like, thank you. I couldn't say it any better. Um, oh, good. That wasn't yeah, boredom. It, That's good. No, no, no. It was, <laughs> boredom, it was just appreciation, pure appreciation. Because it was uh, the, the first sketch was one that sort of bore out of a comment that, that Kurt had made to me about the quarantine chapel. Um, sort of the idea um, that some of these architectural follies, um, and I, I responded to him jokingly, was, um, you know, I could imagine, you know, in architecture, school we had those you know design a house for a poet you know and here's your program blah 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 you know that you know some some design school somewhere is going to come up with a quarantine chapel as like that'll be their you know fall semester 2020 that'll be their 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 opening project but it uh you know giving using that sort of as a riff was this idea of you know how do you create that kind of ivory tower amidst this this larger context and um, and sort of that was sort of the exploration of it. I don't draw towers. I don't draw really big buildings very often. Um, it's not something that sort of my mind goes there necessarily, but um, I think it's something that um, architecturally is interesting to me. And so it was something that I, I tried to force myself to do. And so in forcing myself to do that sketch, it became very sparse. Um, and the sketch became very sparse and as a counterpoint to it was, I kind of went to my comfort zone of knowing there was going to be a figure in it, um, and with a lot more energy and, uh, and that's sort of how this one sort of develops, but. Well, the, the sparseness though, you have a really great technique. So the hand, uh, the, you know, the, the artistry in, in that you have the light sort of faceting but you've definitely profiled the building with a nice heavy line um which is last which is last from a technique standpoint is absolutely last and it's one where like you haven't mentioned it yet but like both of these are pencil (laughs) 
So mm-hmm. you can see, mm-hmm. you can see where like I do a lot of pen and ink, um, and mm-hmm. it, there's only I've only had a couple people call me out on when I go to pencil and I get in like a pencil phase for a couple days. Um, and usually there are people who went to school with me. Um, and so, um, but yeah, there's a decidedly a lot more comfort in sort of a graphite sketch. Um, I, I feel like I can render, um, things a lot better there and get a lot of line weight and a lot of, like you're saying, sort of picking up that using some of those graphic techniques, um, for the light and the shadow and the depth, um, and the subtlety Mm -hmm. of it. Right. It's a little bit harder for me in the pen and ink to do that, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting better at it. It reminds me a little bit of um, sort of a nod to when you see renderings of uh, commentary about how little space in the city we <laughs> devote to pedestrians. It's sort of when you see the renderings of the streets falling away and you see the sidewalks so small and these buildings popping up. It's, it's got that sort of feel to it of, of sort of the rest of the world falling away and this is what's left for us to, to actually inhabit. Like in the movie The Matrix where they sort of re-render the world and it's like, oh, we need to, you know, it's time to get outfitted for our mission and like the whole world just sort of shows oh, yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, no, this has been so much fun, and I, 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 we'd we'd love to have you back, John. This has been fun. I I, I would love to come back, um, maybe with a different cocktail. Round two. Great round two. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, well, you know, just want to keep conscious of time. I I'll leave it right now. If you want the last words, and then we could say our simple goodbyes or see you later's. But oh, I, I did want to point out. The other connection. This of the is hat. an 11th hour comment by Kurt. Yep. <laughs> that, yeah. If, is if, there like a graphic that comes by that says, <laughs> and now the 11th graphic, the 11th yes. hour comment? Yeah. Is we, we, we brought up that we right at the beginning, and I figured we could wait till the end to talk about how John, you know, John has this, this hobby of creating these nice craft cocktails, but he posts them on his Instagram. So I want to give you the chance to promote your Instagram page because even before all this pandemic stuff, you know, I loved seeing your weekly something crafted cocktail. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, but you pose it so well. And you always use natural ingredients too, you know, your garnishes and your, uh, gar- I guess they're just garnish. What else would you call them? I don't mixers, know. Mixers, like, things like that. Yeah. yeah. The mixer. And so it, so what, what, what do you use? You have a fun Instagram title. To I use. don't actually. It's oh. it's fairly boring. It's just John Pendorf. That's that's it. But the Twitter, um, the fun one. Twitter is is Snarkitect DC. That that started way before the the drinks, and it's more um, <laughs> uh, just a self commentary on my own attitude usually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll see. That's just passing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I, I you're welcome to to check out the the feed. Um, of of uh of cocktails and and how we're keeping sane in this time of covid um as well as prior to covid obviously that's as kurt said it's been going a while and i would urge people also you know in the spirit of earth day and everything to you know check out what committee on the environment's doing and then even just think about what you're doing at home since we're all stuck at home right now anyway are there things that you can do to make a difference because i think it does make a difference 
That's great. Jamie? Hey, no, no I just, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it with John's last word. That was great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We both hope that you enjoyed this episode of Coffee Sketch Podcast. Our theme music is provided by my brother who goes by at Cold Fashioned on Instagram and Twitter. Our podcast is hosted at coffeesketch.buzzsprout.com. Find more show notes and information from this episode. And finally, if you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you.